Again, we thank you all so much for the privilege of being able to be here. Jennifer had some errands to run yesterday, and I knew I was going to somewhere along the way. It was getting warm enough. And decided while she was running the errands before I got my hair cut, I was going to go ahead and shave my beard off. Now, I was curious to see how long it was going to take her to realize that I had shaved it. So she came home from the errands, and I helped her unload the car. Nothing was said. We did a few things in the house, and nothing was said. A neighbor came over to bring mail from while we were gone Thursday and Friday, and we were standing in the foyer, the three of us talking, and Jennifer would look at me and say stuff, and I thought, it's going to hit her. While we're talking to Debbie, nothing was said. <laughs> I went outside to do a couple of things, and all of a sudden I heard, Lonnie, Lonnie. And she, I looked at him, she said, in the gate. She was just looking at me. You shaved your beard. <laughs> we get so accustomed, and we look at something, and we don't see it so often. And we do that often with the hymns that we sing and the reading of God's Word. Uh, as we were singing uh, the second one, Jesus, I am resting, resting. And as we were singing the chorus on that, I think it was on the, even on the first verse that it dawned on me, looking at it. Jesus, I am resting, resting. Now, that's a choice that we make if we're going to rest in the Lord. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Almighty. Uh, he that dwelleth, you know where I'm talking about in Psalm 91. He that dwelleth, dwelleth in the Anyway, we have to be close to God. It's a choice that's made. I apologize uh, for twisting that they're not getting it completely. Uh, but we sing these songs, we read God's Word, and so often it becomes so common to us, we don't even see it. The hymns that we have sung today and listening to them being played up here, the hymns being played. As we grow older and we learn the hymns, when somebody's playing like we've heard tonight, it's almost like you hear them being sung by the piano. You can almost hear the words coming out of the piano. And while that's a great joy and privilege, it's also a great danger, just like the shaving of the beard. Uh, so often we become so familiar, so accustomed that we look at it, we see it, we hear it, and we don't hear a word of it. We don't realize at all what we're saying. So Jesus, I am resting and resting in the joy of what thou art. Is that where we're sitting tonight as we're gathered here together? Are we resting? If you would please turn to Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3, and really what we're looking at tonight is something from uh, devotions. Second uh, Timothy was, I think, the, it was the first or second book of Scripture that I memorized. Uh, but it's Paul writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. And chapter 3 is a passage, the beginning part of a especially, that we hear referenced so often, in the last days, perilous times shall come. And you know, there's truth there that it's one of those things that 
Several things occur. We know it. We quote it often, or we think of it often, especially when we see bad events taking place, not just now, and you know, up through time, and we think of it. But we don't really stop to think, what does that mean? What's the application for me and in my life? And to be honest with you, most of us, probably when we think of that and think that we know these things are coming to get worse, we do so with a caveat in our thought process. Our daughter, Heidi, loved Anne of Green Gables. We had the opportunity to go to PEI when we were in the Maritimes and going through Green Gables and the farm and all that, when you're going through the Enchanted Forest, I think is what it's called. In reality, you can see the golf course right there. And Benjamin and I were being a couple of guys while Heidi was wanting to be romantic about what Anne of Green Gables' story uh, and account was. But when we watch a movie, when we read a book, do you ever put your pla- yourself in the place of the victim, of the underdog? You're always in the place of the victor, aren't you, as you're watching it? You're always the one that's on top of everything when you're watching or when you're reading something that's going on. And so often we do that with Scripture. When we get to this point, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come, and we think of what times may develop as we approach the rapture. And so often we do so thinking, but I'm not going to be here when that occurs. Somebody's going to be. And what we need to realize as we look at this is, number one, it really should be humbling to us if God has chosen us to be the generation serving him at that time. We don't know if we are. But it should be a very humbling thing that he would choose us, that he would allow us to be that generation serving him at that time. Secondly, that this was written a couple of millennia ago, to give instruction that there's no surprise, that we can be prepared, that we can be equipped. And thirdly, to encourage us, to remind us, God has established. It's not a surprise when things start starts happening. God has established as we approach these days. Yesterday at Men's Prayer Breakfast, Kevin Jones was showing some of us a video of a chapel service that recently occurred at Bob Jones University. And the first clip, really, he didn't tell us first where the video was. I thought it was probably West Coast. But there was a student group up on the stage with all kinds of stuff on the stage, not equipment, but big banners of rejoice and you know those things on the stage, bright, colorful banners. And all of the female students that were up there were in leggings and a top on the stage performing in chapel service at Bob Jones University. And then the next group that came out were very godly in appearance, dressed students, ladies in nice dresses and singing uh, something that would be that we would have no problem singing here as well. And Kevin was talking about the conflict, essentially, that's going on, that you have um, Fred Coleman, 
who's over, I think, church music at Bob Jones that is bringing in more and more of this progressiveness of the uh, horrific performance. And then you have Dr. Parker, an older one, that's still bringing in the more godly and sound music. And Kevin was talking about talking with <clears throat> somebody else that used to be on the faculty and has left uh, with some of the changes. He was one of the ones that was let go and is somewhere else now. And he was saying, well, Dr. Parker can't wait until he retires because of the way things are going. You know, that doesn't sound so bad, does it? But stop and think a minute. And the comment that I made to Kevin was, Dr. Parker is going to stand judged with the same error as Fred Coleman. Wait until you retire? He is responsible for deceiving many. Even though he may still be using sound music, even though he may say he does not agree with this, he agrees with it. He's still there with them. He's still there doing it. And the other one that had already left, he didn't leave because things were wrong. He left because his, dis his position disappeared. Where is our stand? And we need to... Re it can be done with the right heart. It has to be done with the right heart. And Pastor Webb started a series Wednesday night and it was really from Ephesians 5 and then Romans 1 for the first part of it. They sum up the fact that one of the reasons that we've seen he was focusing on the aspect of uh, the wickedness that's there in Romans chapter 1 when men are given over to their own lust uh, with the homosexuality and those things. He said, we have not been teaching the warning. We've been silent. Oh, we know that it's a sin, but we've been silent to give warning. We've been silent to identify what the sin is. And that same thing's happening uh, over there. You say, but Pastor Schmidt, Pastor Webb, graduate from that. There's good men that have come from there. That's God's mercy and God's grace. It's men that have followed step by step with the light that God has given to them in understanding God's word instead of coming to a truth and saying, whoops, that's not where everybody else is. That's not where uh, the older men, the strong men are. We've misidentified the strong men to start with when we say that. It's the faithfulness of God's word and we're walking step by step. When I worked for Duke, one of the men that was in the organization that I managed when we came up to North Carolina lived in Durham, so it was about an uh, hour and a half or so to my office uh, from where he was. Uh, but he we got home from church one Wednesday night and he called me at home. And he said, I want to let you know that I got saved tonight. A church, somebody had invited him in revival meetings. He's, uh, his kids had already graduated college, so he was uh, not a young man at that point. Uh, but he, want, he said, I want to let you know that I got saved tonight. And as we talked, there was a clear testimony of a man that understood God's word and repented and accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. But even that less than five-hour-old Christian, as we were talking, his supervisor was a Jehovah's Witness. And as we were talking, he said, but Lonnie, John's not saved, is he? I said, no, Leon, he's not, and we need to pray for him. And he said something else. I said, wait a minute now, you need to realize 
Because John, Job's witness, but he would quote scripture. And it was God's word that he was quoting. When he would quote it, it was God's word. I said, you need to realize that even though he's not saved, and we need to pray for his salvation, God used that sowing of his word to bring your heart under conviction that you ultimately got saved. So as we see these situations like what I just mentioned, yes, there are people that come out of that and by God's grace, they continue to walk right. We walk in the truth that we have and the knowledge that we have right now. But when you come to a truth of knowledge, then we need to respond on it. But as we see these days growing, we also need to not only be obedient to what we hear and what we learn from God's word, being sure that it is sound understanding of God's word, but we also need to be faithful with a right heart and a right spirit to identify error and not to be fearful of identifying error. And as we look at this now, I want us to look, and again, this is not normal uh, preparation, but it's taken from my own uh, devotions. And I want us to look at this so it's not something that's just common. It's not something we use. I'm going to be out of here before it gets too bad that it's not something that's become so common that we don't even see why God has given it to us and for our understanding. So if you would and you're able, please stand and follow along with me as I read 2 Timothy chapter 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For this order they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all they that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, 
truly furnished unto all good works. Let's pray. Father, how thankful we are for the blessing that we have to be here again tonight. Thank you for the blessing of being able to sing uh, songs and hymns of praise and thanksgiving. Songs and hymns that clearly communicate the truth of thy word, that instruct us in our own hearts as we hear them, that as well as being able to use them to praise and to thank thee for who you are. Father, we thank you for the truth that we can be resting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us to grow in the disciplining of our minds and the guarding of our hearts, that we truly would be resting in our Lord. We thank you for the truth of your word and uh, even this portion that we look at tonight that says all scripture is given by inspiration of thee and that it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And I pray that that would be the desire of our hearts here tonight. I pray that you'd help me, Father, to be able to communicate truth of thy word uh, in this portion this evening in a way that would be used to help to instruct and to encourage us as we walk through these days to help us to be better equipped to be found faithful servants resting in thee. In Jesus' name we thank thee and we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so coming up to this point, Paul has been dealing with different matters. And then notice how this portion begins. He said, This know also, in the last days perilous times shall come. So it's something that he wants to bring to our attention that we're well aware of. And that word perilous times... It includes the aspect of danger, but it really means something that is hard to bear, something that is hard to take. The instruction that God has given to us here is not every day is going to be a great day. That there are going to be times that are hard to take, that they are going to be hard to bear. And notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say impossible to endure. It doesn't say impossible to bear. I mentioned earlier that we had gone to the mountains Thursday and Friday, and we did some, I won't say mountain climbing because we don't climb anymore, uh, but we did some walking on some very steep and rugged terrain. Uh, and it was high enough elevation, too, that there was not quite as much talking as we were walking maybe at times uh, because of the heaviness of breath. But you know what? I slept fantastic Thursday night. <clears throat> and just because it was hard didn't mean it was bad. And as we go through these times, they may be hard to, to bear, they may be hard to take. But again, going back to that hymn that we sang, we can be resting in Jesus and the enduring going on. We're instructed, we know that these times are going to come and God has desired for us to know. And really it's interesting as we look into this passage, there are only two commands in this portion of Scripture that's given to us. The first one is this no, this no. So you can look at that really as the first portion of the passage. And then the second one comes in verse 14, but continue, but continue thou. So we see the instruction that's given that we can be victorious and that we can keep on going, that it's not a time for uh, despair, but actually a time for being able to rejoice in the promises that have been given to us. 
So this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. And then he gives the reason for us to understand this of what it's going to look like. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. And he goes on to give a whole list of things. And we're going to look just briefly at a few of these. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Boy, do we ever see that today, the selfie society. Everything is pointed towards self. And that's how we discern everything. How does it impact me? What is the influence on me? We just had a picture of Jennifer's dad uh, framed from when he was in the Marine Corps and citation of honor from uh, when they went into Guam and he received the Purple Heart and just had it framed and put up. You know, that wasn't a selfie generation. He wasn't thinking as they were going, what is in this for me, was he? As we think of the Lord Jesus Christ when he came to earth, he was not thinking, what is in this for me? But here, the very first description that's given, men shall be lovers of their own selves. It's one of the reasons, really, that we see the building of, quote, these large ministries and these large churches. You say, oh, but they're serving the Lord. No, they're serving themselves. They desire and they love having the preeminence and having the influence. And in the process, they're deceiving many of what's going on. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Whatsoever done is weighed in the balances of what's in it for me instead of does it honor the Lord. Is it in obedience and accordance to the word of God? One of the paradoxes as we look at that, if we truly are thinking of what is it, what is in it for me, then honoring and obeying God is the best thing that you could do. But And that's the paradox when you look at what godliness is. It's not a matter of I'm doing it because it's the best for me. But the reality is when I'm doing it in obedience, it is what is best for me. It's not the reason that I'm doing it, but it's the result of having done it and been obedient to it. Covetous, the love of money. Men shall be covetous. How sad when we see families that can't exist on a $100,000 income, that they're struggling to get by. And they're having to both work and they're forsaking everything. It's the love of money that has driven them to that point. It's one of the reasons that we see the collapse of our economy and the collapse of our government. It's the love of money. What's the government going to give me? It doesn't matter that we're stealing it from not really generations down. We're just using it to hand over to China uh, more and more of our country each time that we're doing it. And we're deceiving ourselves when we say that our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren can pay for it. They're not. China's going to call it due one day. But we need to understand where that's going. So they'll be covetous boasters. You know, that self-proclamation of who I am and proud. And blasphemers. A matter of blasphemy being... Literally, it's a total disregard. It's impious against God. There's no fear of God at all in the heart of one that is blasphemous. And so often blasphemy comes in forms that we don't even begin to discern or to realize, but it's the absolute rejection of God and then disobedient to parents. Again, we see the fruit of that today, but 
to understand that matter of disobedience to parents. Paul wrote, Fathers, provoke not your children unto wrath, which is true. But we need to stop and think about the disobedience to parents. It's not solely the result of children that are not going to obey mom and dad. A lot of times it's a result because mom and dad have totally destroyed any respect or role of authority. So they have destroyed even the platform for a child, a child to obey their parents or to understand the need for obeying. So when we say that, it's not, oh, this younger generation, I can't, do, I can't believe where this younger generation is. And it's time for us to fess up and to be honest. The younger generation, a large portion of why they're where they are is because the older generation, that's what they planned. That's what they planted. That's what they sowed. That's what they developed into the younger generation. But it's a fact of life that there's the disobedient parents. The first command was promise given to us. Children, honor your parents in the Lord. Uh, and we have totally violated that. Unthankful. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Giving thanks for all things. It's having that attitude of thanksgiving, but know as we see these perilous times coming more and more, one of the attributes is the lack of thanksgiving. We do grumbling instead of giving a thanks to God. Unholy. There's no longer even an understanding of what holiness is. It's being mocked. The example that I just gave on the platform there at Bob Jones University is an example of it. Yet, we see churches that now have brought the unholy to the front. We're defiling the word of God in almost every way, not even just in the music anymore, but in every aspect. We no longer understand the holiness of God and realizing when we, if we, if we grumble and complain about the judgment that's taking place on our nation right now, you understand not only is that a loss of the thankful heart, but there's an unholiness that's involved in that. It's because of the holiness of God that judgment is coming. It's because He is just, He's righteous. But stop and realize, it's also because of His mercy and because of His grace that this judgment is coming. That it does not allow it to continue on the path it's when judgment comes and chasing comes that there can be a convicting of hearts. So as we understand that, and it, you may say, brother, you're warped. No, I do believe this is the word of God for us, that we need to thank God for the chastening that is coming right now. But we doesn't mean we joy in the chastening, but we need to pray that there will be a repentance. We need to pray that there will be a turning back to God without natural affection. And that goes far beyond the matter of what we think of automatically. So often we go the matter of natural affection. Parents have forsaken the love of a parent for their child. Abortion is another example of without natural affection. And even beyond that, how many, and we've, we're talking with uh, a young wife yesterday that's 
in the medical profession, working on her master's now at University of Missouri, and talking about, well, they don't want to have children for a period of time because they want to enjoy doing all of these things. I know people in their late 30s, approaching 40, they're still saying, well, we're going to start our family after we have time. But they already have three vehicles, a big bass boat, four-wheeler. But we're going to start our family when we get older, after we've enjoyed all these things. That's a lack of natural affection. Truce breakers. That matter of being a truce breaker doesn't mean somebody that just breaks an agreement that's been made. It literally means somebody that's unable to be persuaded to enter into an agreement or into an understanding to do right. Somebody that has such a hardness of heart that they cannot even be persuaded uh, to do what's right. False accusers. That goes without need for explanation. Incontinent. That literally means a lack of self-control. When we moved to Charlotte, we went from the uh, time of in the country school where you paid a dollar and a quarter a week and that bought your lunches for the whole week to going through a cafeteria and you had choices, but they had one selection that was usually pretty yucky, but it was the very basic one that was like for a quarter a day that you got whatever that one was. Uh, I was seventh and eighth, eighth and ninth grade and mom was trying to teach us responsibility and authority. Uh, so she would give us our whole lunch money for the week. And if we ran out before the end of the week, tough. You went without lunch. They had some fantastic Boston cream pie. And it wasn't in that uh, simple one either. And there was more than a couple of times that I... We got a dollar a month allowance, so it wasn't like we are getting rich on allowance either. But there was more than a few times that I went without meal or... Boston cream pie was because was my meal because I'd rather have that. I had no self-control is really what that was an example of in my life that I needed to develop in my life. And that's what this is saying, a lack of self-control. And we think because we can get something, we have the ability to get it. Well, that's God's will. He's provided for me to get it. Is it really? Stop and pray about that. Think about it. Is that really what God's will is for your life? So the lack of self-control fierce, you know, just this ferociousness. A neighbor showed us a video yesterday, and I don't know that it's where she said it was because we couldn't find it on the news. It would have been local to us if it was. But of two ladies in a, it was supposed to be in an outlet mall, and two females in an outlet mall. And one of them viciously attacked, physically attacked the other one. And people stand around laughing as it was taking place. And then the one that was doing the attacking when she finished said, you looked at my child wrong. That's what this fierceness is. And the sad part, I kept asking, isn't there a man anywhere around? The fight went on and this one woman was being brutally treated. So this fierceness, and we see it growing and growing and condoned by a portion of our government despisers of those that are good. In other words, there's a hostility to anybody that desires to have a life of virtue. And we see those that would seek to do right, so often they're mocked. There's a hostility uh, 
tried to beat them up literally physically anymore. Traitors. Those that would betray anybody at a minute's notice. And I tell you what, we've talked about some people that are in positions of authority. They're there because they're fearful for their lives. They're going to tow the road because they're fearful for their lives. And what they seem to forget is that as soon as their usefulness is gone, the piranha are going to destroy them. And they're going to hold it until the next piranha destroys them and their usefulness. That's a traitor. It's somebody that will turn on anybody. There's no loyalty whatsoever. Petty. Somebody that's totally thoughtless, that they're rash in their actions and those things that they're doing. There's uh, no thoughtfulness in the things that are being done. Well, I just felt like doing it. The urge hit me. You know, but it becomes the characteristic. High-minded, somebody that's conceited. And boy, there's plenty of that to go around and then some, isn't there? So somebody that's conceited. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Well, I can be spend time with God out on the golf course just as well as I can in a building. Oh, there's nowhere closer to be to God than out on the lake fishing. So that's where I am on Sunday morning. I don't want to be with all those hypocrites in a building. No, it's lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. But it comes in the church doors too. Even the matter of playing the piano, the matter of singing special music, the matter of standing in the pulpit can be a matter of lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. That it's being done by somebody whose heart is not desiring to honor the Lord. That they get a joy out of playing. They get a joy out of doing these things that's self-centered back to me. And it's not because of loving God that it's being done. We, I was talking to a pastor friend this week that just turned 70. He's retiring from full-time pastoral ministry. And they're moving to be closer to where their children and grandchildren are to be involved in their grandchildren's lives. And he's still doing writing and he'll still do uh, some supply preaching. But as we were talking, they put their house on the market before the election because he was fearful of what might happen after and it sold out from under him like that. The Lord provided. They're living in an RV now. They've been living in the RV since November. And he said his purpose was he was not going to leave until they had a new pastor for the church. And I was praising the Lord for that heart, that understanding. But then when I got off, I looked up a church of somebody that we know that is younger than we are, uh, that retired. And last I had heard, before he left, they didn't have a pastor. And he left last October or November. And I looked at the church's website and still has his picture for the pastor. And the description, our former pastor who has retired. And now the deacons and the men of the church are leading as we seek a new pastor. And it really grieved my heart to leave a flock totally defenseless without a pastor. And that's what we run into sometimes is if we, if our love is for God, we're going to be willing to pay the sacrifice and we won't count it as sacrifice. When it's the lovers of pleasure, well, I'm ready to be able to enjoy doing other things. No, this need is here. It's not fulfilled. No, uh, it's time for me to go and to not have that completed. 
having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So much of what is called serving the Lord today has a form of godliness, but it's denying the power thereof. The power is the work in the Holy Spirit through the Word of God in the hearts of men. That's where the power is. When it's not in accordance to that, then we're in trouble. One of the large churches in our area, the Summit Church in Durham, that has its campus churches out and about. J.D. Greer is the pastor of the church. He's president of the Southern Baptist Convention. I read a couple of weeks ago, and I uh, didn't get back to get the quote written down to have it exact, but he had tweeted a message, I guess, that Jesus said, we're to take up our cross and follow him. He did not say that we're to take up his moral laws and to follow him. He didn't say that we're to take up his teachings and to follow him. So I'm not sure what he meant in there. God's word is very clear through and through that to follow Jesus is to be obedient to his word, to love his commands and to follow. Uh, he wrote in John, or he spoke in John 8, 31, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. But here's one of the largest churches with many followers. But beyond that, here's the Southern Baptist Convention. And this is the man that they have elected repeatedly as the president of their convention. Having a form of godliness, but he's denied all the power of godliness. He's denied the very word of God. That is another form of blasphemy. When we take God's word in that way, that is blasphemy without any question. And then notice what is said here, from such turn away. You may say, well, brother, that sounds like a command. It is a command, and it's written in a way that's something to keep on, I'm sorry, there are three commands in here, and it's something to keep on going, but to turn away, it, that literally means to deflect it, to avoid it, to get away from it. So here, as God has listed these things of what's going to be, what's going to be like as we approach the end of the last days, these perilous times that are going to be coming, we understand that he's given it to us for our knowledge and our understanding to encourage and to strengthen us for this time to be able to identify. But notice as a result of that, that there's a command of what we're to do. We're to turn away from those things. What happens when you turn away from something? How many of you had siblings growing up? How many of you had siblings growing up that could be a... Ha those of you whose siblings are sitting here, you don't have to raise your hand, have you? How many of you that had siblings when you were growing up, your sibling could be a real challenge sometimes? Only one Bible raised his hand, so the one must have been good and the other's problems. <laughs> How often were you told, well, get away from them? If they're bothering you, just get away from them. And really, it's a simplistic application of this. But when we see these things going on, our problem is we and we stay involved with it. We put ourselves in the midst of it. You say, but I have to be around it with work and with other things. Yes, and, but we learn how to draw those boundaries mentally, in our heart, and physically. You don't have to sit down and eat lunch with the ones where these problems are coming in. You don't have to go for a walk with them during lunch break when all they're talking about is these sort of things or this is the character of their life. You don't have to go to these places where you're going to come into contact with them if it's outside of the necessities. From such, turn away. So a command that is given to us, the identity has been given 
I get poison ivy. It didn't take me a whole long time to learn to turn away from it when I see poison ivy uh, after I had a few good cases of it and knew what it was. Well, this is worse than poison ivy, and we need to turn and get away from it. And then in verse 6, he goes on to say, uh, to give a, sort of an application, for this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lust. Now he didn't say these are the ones that do it. He said for this sort, he's given an example of what it's like. Uh, and notice the first aspect here, they creep into the houses. In other words, they come in, it's very subtly, not realizing it's coming in. Paul warned in Acts 20 with the elders from Ephesus that even from among not, not only wolves in sheep's clothing, but even from among yourselves, there are some that will come in. And here said, for this sort of they which creep into houses. It's one of the reasons that it's so important for us as churches to make sure that we have sound teaching. But also when there's problems that are occurring in the church, that they be dealt with in a scriptural manner with right hearts, that they not be left silent. What's going to happen if not? They crep in and they're starting to put tentacles out here and tentacles out here. And all of a sudden, they've won somebody's heart and trust over here. And then when the problems start erupting, then it creates a conflict for this person. Well, you know, I really love this brother. I really love this. And they didn't see the slime that was creeping in as it was coming in. And that's what this is talking about, that they creep. It's like those that creep into the houses and lead captive silly women. And the term here for silly women is literally, and it goes back to what we were talking about this morning, foolish women. This is not generic of male and female. Males are just as prone to this as the females. Uh, so don't go saying, well, only women have to worry about this. Uh, remember, this is an illustration for us to understand. And besides, who should be protecting that silly woman? Her husband should be. So they creep in the houses, leading silly women, laden with sins. And that's a metaphor that's used. Uh, literally mean somebody that's been loaded down uh, with the consciousness of many sins, being aware of many sins. And then the result is led away with the diver's lust. So all of these that are named up above these things that are being talked about, uh, it gives us an example of what we need to do. And they're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There are people that, oh, they're so hungry to be taught. They're ever learning. They want to hear more and more. But notice they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's why it's important to evaluate what somebody's testimony is the fruit of the life. They might be learning. The knowledge of the truth means it's being manifested. It's being applied into the life. That it's not just, well, I've learned these things and I want to learn more and more, but there's no change. There's no transforming taking place in the life of the individual. An evaluation for yourself in your own life. Are you coming to the knowledge of the truth in your life? In your, and it's an evaluation we need to do on a regular basis in our lives. Are there areas that you can say, rejoice into the Lord. I know that I have gotten a victory. I know that I've taken another step of victory in this matter that I'm dealing with in my life. Everything doesn't happen like that. 
but it's a step by step by step. And can you stop and say, I have won this victory and I'm gaining the victory in these things and I'm growing in the knowledge of the truth. And he went on to give a description of somebody now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses. So do these also resist truth. Now Janus and Jambres, who were they? To be honest with you, I don't know. Uh, I've started trying to find, and I've not been able to find that, figure out who they are yet for certainty. Uh, and it may be, and I haven't hit the right spot to hit on it yet. They knew what was being talked about, but the description, which is what we really need, is what is here. They resist the truth. They're men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the truth. Literally, they have rejected the truth. So, he was given an example that Timothy would have known and would have understood. And some of you may know who that is, uh, specifically from Scripture. Um, Moses faced more than a few that had this testimony in their lives. But they resist the truth. Some may hear the truth, and all of a sudden they start talking all of these spiritual things and sound like spiritual people. But there's no changing in the life. That's resisting the truth. Uh, their minds have been corrupted. They have been destroyed. They're reprobate. They've totally rejected uh, anything concerning the faith. And there's a limit that God puts in place, but they shall proceed no further, for their shall, folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. So those that have these characteristics, just as Dennis and Denver's folly was brought forth, think about it. Therefore, I was brought forth for all of eternity because it's recorded in the written word of God. And what God has said here is those that choose this path, those that have this type of a life, it may look like things are going great for them. Their folly shall be manifest unto all men that that time of judgment is going to come. And as we see the things that take place, we need to be reminded it's not going to be forever. The judgment is going to come. And in verse 10, he said, But, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions. And here Paul gives uh, the reason and to turn them away from those things that are going on. And he's turning to the testimony of God's faithfulness, the way he does. And notice what he started with, not... I have endured so many trials for the faith. I have suffered all of these things. And what I start with, you have fully known my doctrine, my teaching. We have Paul's doctrine. It's the Word of God, Paul's doctrine. So as we see these last days coming, we need to be reminded, do you fully know the doctrine? Are you putting yourself in the place that you do fully know it? My manner of life, the testimony of the Apostle Paul, that he didn't allow himself to be encumbered and destroyed because of the circumstances that were going on. That's an encouragement. It's one of the reasons that there's encouragement for us, as well as instruction, as we read the history of faithful saints since the completion of Scripture, of saints that have been faithful, that have endured trials and afflictions, because it becomes an encouragement for us as well. And it helps to strengthen us because as we face trials, God say, I'm the only one that's ever done this. This is the first generation to ever have to go through these things. 
but to understand God's faithfulness, the manner of life, my purpose. That matter of purpose doesn't mean this is my goal. That matter of purpose literally means that he had placed in view for everybody to see, to be aware of what was going on. My faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience. These are attributes that were developed in Paul by the grace of God that he was seeking to encourage others as well. Every individual in here that knows the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior has gone through trials in your life. Everybody has gone through different types of trials. You've gone through trials I've not gone through. I've gone through trials you've not gone through. But as you've gone through, you have learned of God's faithfulness, of His mercy and His grace, and it's strengthened you. And it's not strengthened you just for you to be able to go on to live a good life. Actually, it's strengthened and equipped you to be able to help others also that are going through trials, to be able to say, I have seen God's faithfulness. I know the depth of what you're going through. I've seen God's faithfulness and to be able to encourage and to strengthen others. He went through persecutions and afflictions, and they came to him in different places. But he said, what persecutions I endured, and notice the victory, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. God is going to deliver us. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We hear that, we say it, and we know it. But do we equip ourselves to be ready for it? That is the key. That no surprise is coming. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then verse 14 through the end, look here quickly. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Keep on keeping on. Keep on going. The encouragement, the instruction, the command that's given here. Yes, all these things are going to take place. Don't grow weary. Don't faint. It's one of the reasons when we're trying something that's difficult that it's good to have a partner because we can encourage one another as we're going along. And Paul is encouraging Timothy specifically, but also us just as specifically today. Keep on going on. And how do we do that? And the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Are you assured in your heart of these truths? That assurance comes again by the growing step by step by step. What does that assurance mean? It doesn't mean totally just, and it does mean, it is because it's written in God's word. But let's be honest with ourselves. We know it's in God's word. There's still that struggle that goes on, isn't it? When we know it's in God's Word, and then we say, but I remember how God worked through this situation in my life. I remember how He worked in this situation through somebody else's life. That assurance then helps us to be strengthened in the faith to be able to continue going on and knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Such a critical uh, principle right here. Where are you receiving your instruction? If you're receiving your instruction watching 700 Club, I'd hate to face a trial because there's going to be a battle that's going to come in your mind. Now, I learned this from 700 Club. Uh, I don't want to go into a battle trusting on that. 
I want to be sure I have learned it from God's Word or from a preacher or teacher that is faithfully preaching and teaching and living the Word of God by the power of God and by the strength of God. But continue thou in those things, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. This was bringing back to Timothy uh, a reason really to be able to give thanks and reminding him of the heritage that he had. Some in here are able to say, I grew up in a godly home. A number of us are not able to say that I grew up in a godly home. Does that mean we're underprivileged? Absolutely not. Because I'm giving the reminder right here. Uh, but the principle of it is, <clears throat> has known the Holy Scriptures. Every one of us has the opportunity to know the Scriptures and then to go forward from there that are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And in verses 16 and 17, uh, all Scripture, that means everything from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, that literally it is God-breathed. It's one of the reasons those that question about the preservation of God's Word they have something that disconnected between here and here in their brain if they're going to be honest with themselves. What value is inspiration if it has not been preserved? God's promised in His Word that it is preserved. But of what value is it? In fact, it would be probably one of the most frustrating things somebody could endure. If I was alive today and I knew that God had given His inspired Word I don't know where all of it is. I'm not sure what's been preserved. I'm not sure which is the right and which is the wrong. That would be one of the most desperate feelings in life. It'd be more desperate than being an unsaved individual. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for that teaching that we need in our lives, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Let me ask you, when you're reading the Scriptures, are you reading it? Always looking for something for an encouragement for today. If that's your purpose for reading Scripture, you're falling far short. And at the very best, you're going to be an extremely anemic uh, in your faith, a very anemic Christian child of God in your faith. Because look at the reason that is given. As we study the Scriptures, as we hear the preaching, the prayer of each of our hearts ought to be, Father, teach me, reprove me, and correct me. Because there's areas that we need that in our lives, in righteousness. And there's a purpose that's given to it. And again, this is not the generic term, that the man of God, this, it's generic, it's not gender-based. It means all people, that the man of God, that every individual, doesn't regardless who you are in here, that the person of God may be perfect I'm a perfectionist by nature in many things, which is good, but it's also not good. You have to develop that balance. That's not what this word means. It means that we can be complete, that we can be mature, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works, completely equipped and prepared in every way of everything that we need for good works. It means that we're able to understand what is good and what is not. It means that we have the ability to do what is good and to avoid doing what is not. 
So as Paul was writing to his son Timothy right before he was about to be martyred, his son in the faith Timothy right before he was to be martyred, but also for us today, there's a very specific reason for this chapter and we need to be careful that we don't use it just as the, well, things are getting so bad, but God told us it's going to get that way and we're just going to endure to the end. No, we need to understand that God has given it to us for our instruction to equip us, to strengthen us, that just as we sang that we may be resting, resting in the joy that is in Him. That we can rejoice that it's not something that has taken us by surprise. Uh, but it's something that we know that this time is coming, that it's going to grow. That we can be strengthened and equipped to know how we ought to live. But you know what the bottom line is? Are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? Or are you going to leave tonight saying, that's in God's word and it sounded good and I'm thankful for it. And then go out and get caught up in the events that are going on and all of a sudden you find yourself not resting. That you're not really the vessel that God's prepared you for this time to be in your life. Let's pray.